I think what we should start thinking is start thinking like those very smart engineers who are building cloud native solutions and how do we automate discovery, automate remediation, automate things that we know with a high degree of probability to be problems that can be solved via X, Y, and Z protocols, right? Without, again, getting spun up and, and hiring for the sake of hiring. You're listening to Cloud Security Reinvented, a podcast for security leaders with a focus on the cloud. Learn best practices from fellow security professionals and how they disconnect from it all at the end of the day. Cloud Security Reinvented. Good morning, or depending on where you are in the world, Good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Welcome to Cloud Security Reinvented. I'm your host, Andy Ellis. Before I introduce our guest for the week, a quick word from our sponsor, Orca Security. Orca provides agentless security and compliance for your public cloud infrastructure, enabling you to detect and prioritize security risks in minutes, not months. Thank you, Orca. I'm here with Samir Sate, former CISO of Amazon's Whole Food division. Welcome, Samir. Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us. You know, across our careers, not only do we as professionals grow, but the world that we're in changes and the companies we work for change. So I'd like to get some insight from you, especially as we look at the transition from the on-premise world most of us started in to the world of cloud that has become the default model for IT infrastructure. So let's start a little on your career journey. You know, you started in the financial services world, HSBC, Freddie Mac, World Bank, Mass Mutual, before pivoting, you know, Aero Electronics, Forcepoint, and most lately Amazon's Whole Foods. What did you see in that financial services world and how did the transition out of it really affect you? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And when I think about it, I think the financial services industry really set me up well, given that I'd say there was a higher level of awareness and expectations around cyber risk, cyber impact from those risks. There was already, I'd say, working groups, ISAC. There was an FS ISAC back then. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that level of maturity outside of, I'd say, financial services and potentially healthcare. I haven't been in healthcare, but I can say that coming out of those highly regulated, well-managed, risk-managed industries, taught me a lot about kind of what a good bar or a high bar of cybersecurity program looks like. And I think while financial services has been cutting edge in terms of looking at cloud and non-traditional technologies, if you will, back then, and how it can impact the customer from a retail perspective or even investment banking perspective, there was still the mindset of cloud is more of a private cloud and it's more mm -hmm. of a governed cloud that is not easily accessible or not easily kind of integrated with a larger ecosystem, if you will, right? I think that's obviously changed quite a bit since that time. While the non-financial services companies were tinkering with cloud, but not really putting the kind of resources, I would say, behind it, just because the cost, they didn't see the cost and benefit, right? And so I think it kind of gave me a little bit of a leg up from a risk and compliance and cyber cyber governance perspective. But what I did learn, I'll say, is being able to manage expectations or security maturity with limited funding, right? Because you don't have the kind of funding you do in financial services. I so don't think anybody does. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So kind of circle the wagon on this. It, it helped me think about what are my priorities? How do I manage risk effectively? And actually, interestingly, Andy, it kind of pushed us more and more towards using cloud capabilities because a lot of them 
like the AWS and the Azures and the GCPs, they have a lot of inbuilt basic security functionality to start with, right? So that right. was really helpful from a, let me call it frugality perspective when it comes to cybersecurity. That's fascinating. And I think we definitely saw those platforms adopting better security primitives, probably about the same time as you switched career industries. Exactly. So I think at that same time as you're making that transition, we're starting to see that the world of security changed because cloud became more prevalent. So what did you see that cloud, how did cloud sort of shift those drivers in those companies? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I laugh because initially when that was happening, there was a sense of, well, cloud comes pre-built with security, <laughs> right? So you're inherently more secure by moving to the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the misnomer is, is really in that, that cloud can provide you abilities to be secure at scale if you focus and prioritize and align with these more dev and ops centric teams that work in cloud native environments. The second thing that kind of opened up my eyes, and this was a learning from my perspective, Andy, was how important it became for security teams to be embedded mm -hmm. in the activities of cloud, cloud ops, cloud dev, et cetera, et cetera. Because in the past, we've always been thrown over the fence and get it right. thrown back over to us. <laughs> and that worked okay in the on-prem right. world, but not right. so You tried to cloud. tack on security by adding boxes in the on-prem world. Right, exactly. That's fascinating. So I think it's your last job, sort of an interesting being, you know, at Amazon, but in the Whole Foods division. And I think a lot of us have this perception of what life is like at Amazon. But how is it different? Like, what are the things that were surprising for that industry that from the outside, we just wouldn't even think about? Yeah, I was part of Amazon physical stores and um, my remit was Whole Foods Market, which was Amazon's largest acquisition at the time. And I think that the grocery business, the retail, the physical store retail business has struggled with adopting and, and, and no fault of their own, I think, when you think about the number of stores that are out mm -hmm. there, unique store formats, think of it as having leaders over different domains in, in regions, for example, right? And driving change in that large geographic footprint where the risks are quite different. It's not mm -hmm. just about credit card fraud, but it's also physical store safety, et cetera, et cetera. There's been a little bit of hesitation to change quickly. And I don't know if if technology or security has actually been an enabler for that or more of a, hold on a second, you know, how do we make sure connectivity is good? How do we make sure our data is centralized in terms of storage? How do we move off of systems that we've built for 20 years and have done fine for us? So a little bit of the, if it ain't broke, why fix it, right? Was what I saw in, in the physical store space. Right. At the same time, those stores have to try to innovate and you're not necessarily helping. That's a fascinating, you don't often think about security as being the, the roadblock for a physical re-innovation, but it often can be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think security is part of, part of it, but I think also the fear of impacting what customers are used to, which mm -hmm. is a, a smiling face behind a desk or behind a, a counter and, and getting the kind of service they've always gotten from a, from a great brand like Whole Foods. How do you do that while creating even more frictionless experiences? The soft touch and the, and the frictionless experiences, that's, that's a hard one to solve.
Yeah, and I will say it took me a while to figure out where to hold my phone to scan my Whole Foods card when I would walk through the ch the lane. So I'm totally with the frictionless experience problem there. Yeah. So if we think about the way that we learned, right? There were a lot of practices in the pre-cloud world that were just sort of standard, you know, whether we learned them from the orange book or just from, you know, whatever our cargo cult knowledge is. Which one of those do you think most resonates now in the cloud era that maybe we need to get back to basics and make sure we're doing those fundamentals that we think we always knew to do and do them right? So I think I think what you're asking me is, what worked well in the cloud that we should do generally? Is that right? Or yeah, yeah. Well, what's the thing that we always knew to do but really works well in the cloud? Oh, got it. Oh, makes sense. It's it's a it's a loaded question because I could look at it and say, well, we didn't do a lot of things very well in security before the cloud. We can That's do true. things better. <laughs> I, I'd say that one of my learnings in terms of the, the legacy, I won't say legacy, but the non-cloud native. Let me just use the word non-cloud native world mm -hmm. is uh, kind of aligning of accountability, responsibility, ownership, influence, right? Mm -hmm. I think in the cloud world, because we expect to just move really, really fast, and we expect things to get taken care of by a certain set of individuals that are working in the DevOps world, and you just kind of sprinkle on some security and expect it to kind of magically get taken care of. I think there's a little bit of the who owns what and finding ways to align on the exceptions so that even the exception process has an accountability and responsibility. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, you start off with a bunch of quote unquote findings and we, we run around and everybody's a partner and everyone's friendly and helpful and gets it done. But then as your environment evolves, people are sometimes surprised that, oh, wow, I thought we fixed this, right? And it's, it's the sense of like, well, you know, th things are gonna go bad. You need a playbook for those mm -hmm. uh, non-expected outcomes or signals. And how do you manage those without uh, having to chase uh, or, or circle the wagon and, and do a, a Saturday night kind of uh, meeting to figure it out and get it done, right? Yeah. I think getting getting really organized and crisp about that would be really helpful in, in the cloud world. Right, so I think a lot of people talk about asset management, but really ownership management of both those assets and those processes to sort of smooth things on. Now, I think that's a that's a thing we we all, I think we were never really good at, but it wasn't really hard in the pre-cloud world, and it just got a lot harder. You're so right, let's, absolutely. Let's look at it from the other side. What's a practice we've always done that we should just get rid of? We should just bury this and stop doing it. What is something we've always done that, that maybe doesn't apply in this new new world, right? Um, yep. I would say throwing more people at the problem. Right? Okay. At my experiences have always been that we tend to go and sign up with more consulting services and, and we'll just say, oh, there's a problem, we need support and... Uh, we'll use the excuse, and and I've used this excuse too. So I'm I'm as, as much at fault for this as saying, it's really hard to hire in this hyper competitive security market. Let's yep. just get some consultants, right? I think what we should start thinking is start thinking like those very smart engineers who are building cloud native solutions, and how do we automate discovery, automate remediation, automate things that we know with a high degree of probability to be problems that can be solved via X, Y, and Z protocols, right? Without, again, getting spun up and, and hiring for the sake of hiring. Right. And I think I heard in there a piece about the, the hiring surge capacity, partly because you're not even going to gain the benefit of people who now know what to do because you let them go. They were a consultant as soon as your surge was over. So it's hire smart and automate. You know, yep. So hire for the long term and automate for the short term. 
Yeah, and, and I'm sure you've been through this, Andy, where we hire consultants and it takes two to three weeks to bring them up to speed, almost a month, and then then they become productive. And then, to your point, then they leave eventually, right? Right, and, and so you've just you, lost all of the knowledge that you gave them. Exactly. I like that one. If you think about the cloud era, I don't think any of us really could have predicted how quickly it exploded and grew and in which way. So for you, what has been the biggest surprise or is the biggest opportunity for growth from the cloud? Yeah, I think what has made me kind of what's opened my eyes a little bit is how much engineers and builders think about security. We always assume that builders, developers, engineers, testers even, they just want to ship product quickly to market, right? Mm -hmm. I have been pleasantly surprised with, and it's it's probably a combination of the industry itself has exploded. There's a lot more awareness. There are technologies being built to enable secure software development, deployment, maintenance, right? And so what I've been pleasantly surprised with the explosion of cloud usage is that engineers don't really need a policeman anymore. They just need guidance. They need a steward. They don't yep. need someone telling them, you're bad, you haven't done this right, go straight to jail, you know, kind of mindset. It's more of, hey, I'm stuck. Uh, do we have, a, do we have a, a mitigation plan here? How can we help? And, and so I think a lot more people are thinking about security in the cloud native world. Yeah, no, I like that, that security has almost become a DevOps function yeah. rather than being the, the DevSecOps coming afterwards that I think we, we expected. You know, what piece of advice do you wish someone had given to you earlier in your career that maybe you had to learn as you went along that you could share with our listeners? Yeah, I think I mentioned this earlier where we in security, maybe it's just the function itself, almost like a governance and compliance and risk management function we almost lived in a little bit of a black box and I didn't know some of the you know, mentality and mindset of the engineers that I worked with as well as I do now. I think my advice, or if I was to look back on my career, I would have loved to step out and gone and been a part of you know, site reliability teams or maybe done some work in, in the architecture side. I think putting yourself in other people's shoes who are on the receiving end Mm -hmm. of some of your discovery and, and your assessment would have taught me empathy a lot earlier in my career. <laughs> yeah, I like to think that is there's modal bias, which yeah. is, you know, we preference the mode we're in. And a way I often get this to resonate for folks is you talk about drivers and pedestrians. You know, when you're driving in a city, you, know, you look at the pedestrians and you think really awful things about them because they're clueless, they're oblivious, they cut you off. And when you're a pedestrian, you think awful things about the drivers. And what's funny is that as you park your car, you might be in the middle of grumping about the pedestrian that sort of cut you off as you're getting to a parking space. And the moment you step out of your car, you're angry at the driver who's whizzing right past you. And yeah. so getting to switch to things like that, especially as a security person, to realize, oh, those developers are just trying to get their job done. And when I'm a developer, I don't want to talk to the security side of me either. <laughs> you nailed it. That's yeah. it. So what do you see as the opportunities for the future of technology? What, is, what really excites you about the next 10 years? Yeah, so, you know, Andy, I've always been a fan of, um, and this is an Amazon thing as well. Uh, they call it two pizza teams, right? That go out and, you know, kind of think of it as a SWAT team that goes out yep. and solves big problems, right? Where you have single-threaded owners and you say, this one person is, is a full accountable is, is a sole accountable party for this program or this project, and these are the people reporting to them. 
I I really like the idea, and I start to see more and more companies adopting where they can automated automation, right? And using that in conjunction with these kind of call them SWAT teams that can solve big problems in an agile mm-hmm. manner, right? I think the future of technology is going to be, I hope, and let me just say, I'm not a soothsayer, but I hope we will not try to, you know, kind of build castles or build large, uh, slow-moving organizations just for the sake of having a large team. I like small, agile teams. I think we're heading there. I think the cloud enables us to do that well. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is also security being built into cloud. I hope to see more and more large big tech companies, call them FANG, call them what you will, kind of embracing partnerships with tech security companies to kind of make it so seamless that it becomes part and parcel of how we operate in the cloud, right? That yeah. I'm seeing happen and that's getting me super excited because I, I truly believe that we are, I care as much about the usability of a product as I should care as much about the usability of the product and the product manager should care as much about security of that product, right? And if we both have those shared outcomes, I think we'll do very well. I definitely agree with that, that shared responsibility. I love getting into a meeting and being the security person arguing for usability. And then the usability person turns and argues for security. And then everybody else is like, oh, I guess if they agree on this, we've got to do it. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, being a security professional is a stressful and challenging job. So what do you do at the end of the day to unwind? Like I see lots of books behind you and they don't look like perfectly shelved. So maybe it's reading a lot of those, but what else do you do? Yeah, I <laughs> I try not to think about work. So I, I think part of what I've started doing is just shutting shutting off as in, I actually let my cell phone die. I know it, it sounds strange, but I let my cell phone die so I don't get distracted. I try to spend as much time, at least in the evenings with the family without being distracted. I used to drink whiskey, but I tried to make it less of a habit and more of a social social event. That's good. Yeah, it's easy to get caught up into uh, into good whiskey. And then I'd say on the weekends, try to get some exercise in. During the week, I've found it hard because I've got young kids at home. And then the big thing that I get, Andy, and this is just me, I don't know if this applies to a lot of other former or current CISOs, I really like mentoring and coaching people that want to move into leadership roles, right? I, okay. I like telling them about the pros and cons. It sounds very glamorous to be a CIO or a CISO, but there's stress at every level, right? And helping them understand the pros and cons and where their personality or where their strengths are and helping them find those out, uh, I get a lot of pleasure from that. That's awesome. I love that you're doing that. And I will tell you, as your kids get a little bit older, they'll probably start to stress out about you letting your phone die. I know my teenagers freak out. My wife does the same thing. Her phone will get down like 6% and my teenagers start like hunting down chargers for her because they just can't handle a phone with that low battery. Yeah, I get it. Okay. So uh, before we wrap up, you know, do you have any other piece of wisdom you just want to share with our listeners? Doesn't have to be about technology, but just that encapsulates your life philosophy. Yeah, I think the only thing I'll say that I've learned over my career is um, I mentioned a little bit about giving back, but I've learned to step back, take a step back, frankly, and um, be a better um, listener. I think listening skills are underrated. They're super important in leadership. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is really reminding myself that I'm here to serve my team, right? And and I've done it, frankly, Andy, at the detriment of having my boss not happy with me. And I've said, mm-hmm. it's on me. Yep. I, I need to protect my team's time to focus on things that they're working on. So I think keeping your people or your team engaged, productive, but also not on any death march just because the work is piling up is super important in leadership 
even more important than the knowledge you have in cybersecurity. Yeah, definitely recognizing that, you know, the next four years of productive work you get out of your team are more valuable than the next four weeks of a sprint is definitely a key leadership technique that you have to master there. So, Samir, thank you. You We were here with Samir Sait, the uh, former CISO of Amazon's Whole Foods division. You've been listening to Cloud Security Reinvented. I'm your host, Andy Ellis, and you can catch us on all of your favorite platforms. Thank you for checking out this episode of Cloud Security Reinvented, brought to you by Orca Security. Orca Security detects and prioritizes cloud security risks for AWS, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud without the gaps in coverage, alert fatigue, and operational costs of agents. Please follow Cloud Security Reinvented wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or visit orca.security slash podcast to get immediate access to all of the latest episodes.